Do you love NASCAR and all things racing? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Derek Cope. And I'm Alicia Cope. We are your hosts. And here on Race Theory, we talk about all things asphalt racing. Our life on the road, maintaining good sponsor relationships, as well as balancing our work and family life as a team. Stick around and hopefully our tips and experiences will help you reach your own goals. Welcome back. It's Race Theory. We're uh, excited about uh, today's episode. No, I think we'll just get right into it. Uh, last When we last spoke, obviously, it was uh, winning the Daytona 500. Uh, you would think that uh, everything would be rosy from there, <laughs> but uh, it certainly was, um, it was exciting, certainly was, uh, you know, fulfilling a dream. And, um, you know, you feel like that, um, you know, you feel like you've made it, right? That you've, you know, kind of validated the fact that, you can drive a race car, you're, you know, a stable fixture in the sport, you're here to stay. And, you know, now we can go on and, and uh, win more races. And the big thing that come out of Daytona was that, you know, back then you had no social media, we didn't have cell phones. It was um, very different in the way that, you know, information uh, or ridicule would come back to you. I had always made it a point of not reading, um, you know, magazines, what was written or uh, what was talked about. I didn't listen to, you know, radio shows or whatever the case may be. I just felt like that, you know, there was no point in me getting too high or too low and just not worrying about what other people, you know, thought. And you've actually, when you mentor young drivers, you've told them that many times you know, don't read anything, the good, the bad, or the ugly, as much as you can stay away from it. Obviously, social media is a, is a uh, evil necessity now, but you definitely have told them that it has been um, serving you well to not focus on that because it definitely makes you a head case. Yeah. I think, you know, if you really look at, you know, race car drivers as a whole, I think a lot of them are, you know, are, you know, you know, kind of, they kind of get in their own head, you know, I mean, a little, you know, uh, all race car drivers are head cases. Come yeah. on. Well, I mean, honestly, you know, I mean, they're a little, I think you're insecure. You're only as really as good as your last race. And, you know, you can, you know, you can struggle from race to race. And it's, um, it's, it's hard to, there's so many variables. It's hard to really stay, you know, very positive unless you're in a really high level team. You got most all the right things and, you know, you're able to really be very consistent and, and, you know, and, and win races or run, you know, really upfront. And where we were at, we were a small team. You know, we really, you know, did not have a lot of funding. I think when we won Daytona, we may have had, you know, maybe $900,000, seven to $900,000. Which even back then was a low budget. Which was a low budget. So we really, you know, obviously there was a lot of things that at the time came out about us, us having Hendrick engines and all that kind of stuff. Well, we only had enough money to get to it for like 10 races. So we were, you know, trying to pick you know, the races that we thought we could showcase well and go out and win. But, you know, we had to resign ourselves to not having the best engines, you know, on all the other events or the majority of the events. So after Daytona, you know, I was obviously on a high, you know, you fly, you know, after the, after the race, you know, you're having a party with everybody, you know, you're coming back to the racetrack, you're, you know, doing a live feed from Daytona to Tulsa for pure later. And, and then you get on the airplane the next morning and, you know, you, uh, you know, you head back to Charlotte and then you get ready to go to New York and that's where you would go. And, you know, back then it was the David Letterman show. So I went to do the David Letterman show and, 
I really enjoyed that. Uh, it was, you know, it was something that you'd always seen the other guys do. And uh, you finally had to sit in the green room and listen to all the stuff that was going on and get ready to go out and walk out on stage and, you know, and sit down with David. And um, he really picked fun at you. Well, you actually picked fun at him. Um, if I remember right, I haven't watched it in a while, but uh, didn't he say, hey, I think I could get in one of those cars and drive it. And he was asking you, are you scared when you get in the race car, right? And then uh, when he said that he'd like to try it, then you said, well, that would be scary. <laughs> well, I think it was, he was talking about something about, I think him getting a ticket or, or something. And I think obviously, I mean, I said something and, you know, I had drew a laugh or whatever, but, uh, I, I don't remember exactly what I said. Most of the time I never do. Whenever things, they just kind of come to me, I'm off the cuff and half the time I don't remember what I said. So, um, you know, I have to go back and look at it myself to be honest with you. Uh, but you know, it was fun to do that. And then we traveled across the United States and went to the Pacific Northwest and, uh, the Gene Michaels show did a bunch of local media, a big media tour. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, there was a lot going on that led up to the next race, you know, and it was an exciting time. And, uh, from there, you know, you, you know, you would walk through an airport, people would stare, you know, heads would turn and you, it was a totally different feeling and life as you knew it would never be the same. And it was, um, it was remarkable just how much your, you know, it elevated your notoriety and, you know, you became a, you know, a household, you know, name and, you know, your, your face was, was seen in a lot of, you know, ways. And, uh, so it did a lot and it did a lot for a long time. And, you know, uh, but it was kind of a double-edged sword though. Tell, tell us a little bit about the hate that you got. Well, obviously, you know, you, you beat Dale Earnhardt. So that was, you know, in itself, probably the biggest reason why there was so much, you know, ridicule and there was so much hate and things. If it would have been anyone else, do you think that you would have gotten that at all? If you would have beaten Labani or beaten Hillen or beaten Ricky Rudd, do you think you would have had the ridicule that you did with Earnhardt? Probably not to that degree. I think certainly, you know, back then, you know, if you even said a crossword about, you know, Dale Sr., you know, you'd be you know, chastised. Right. But I think it was really the fact that he hadn't won the race and he had lost it in so many ways. And this was just another, you know, beating that, you know, happened, you know, and that, you know, they, you know, he was so close He'd and been up front the majority of yeah, the race. You know, he really, you know, he was uh, in a position to win the race and it didn't happen. It didn't transpire. And I think, uh, you know, you know, there, there was just a lot said, I mean, and the biggest thing that come out of it was, I mean, you, you started to hear the word fluke and, you know, I just came to despise that word and what people were attaching to me and this race team. And our group had worked, you know, really hard over the winter to prepare for Daytona and did all the right things, had a game plan, uh, and implemented it to the fullest degree of the word. And, you know, good things happened, right? We were in a position, we put ourselves in a position to win the race and we did. And I think that, you know, to listen to all the grief and all the things that other people, you know, that, you know, had won championships or, you know, had won a lot of races that were second or third or whatever, were, you know, obviously disgruntled over the fact that here, you know, I had won the race and didn't really deserve it, or they didn't think that I had served my time and been there long enough to get the biggest thing in, in stock car racing. And, you know, it's just, 
you listen to those things and you just have to let that, you know, roll off your back, you know, and, and, but I think at the same time, you know, I, I'm a rather vindictive individual and I think, you know, things stick in your craw and I was, I was quite unhappy about I wouldn't say that. vindictive. I would say determined. Yeah. Well, I think, I think collectively, Bob Whitcomb Racing, you know, Buddy Parrott, myself, um, everybody, you know, of all those things did not get their just due. I don't think, you know, there was any respect given. I don't think that there was anybody, you know, really believing in the fact that we deserved, you know, for what we had done. And, you know, I think that that tone, you know, I think really just, you know, really put everybody, you know, I think, I think it motivated everybody. I think everybody at our shop and especially Buddy, because Buddy is such a motivator. And I think he was your, he was your rah-rah guy. I mean, he come in there and he used that to, to rile guys up and to get them pumped up and to make them work hard and to say, look, you know, we are going to go back and we are going to win again. We are not going to be a one hit wonder, right? We're going to show these guys, right? Let them talk, let them stay all they want. But when we get our chance, we're going to stick it up their ass. And sure enough, we got, we would get our opportunity. And I think, you know, we, we had some good runs. I think we continued to move forward. And I think, you know, there was just a lot of belief in ourselves and um, you could see that the team was capable of going out and running well. We didn't really have the Hendrick engines, you know, except for, you know, uh, a selected amount of, of races that year. And, uh, you know, we got towards um, the, you know, the middle of the year there when we went to Dover. And Dover had always been a place that I really liked to go to simply because it was difficult. Uh, it had big drop, drop offs, getting off into the corners, high bank. Um, and you really, you had to manipulate a race car there, not just drive it, but manipulate it. And it was one of those places, uh, you know, it was asphalt then. It, it's not, it was not concrete like it is today. It was asphalt. And there was times that racetrack would break up and, you know, like Bristol and, you know, you'd be having some racetracks start coming apart here or there. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a, it was a difficult place to run and, um, you know, but we were on bias ply tires still then, not like we are now on radials. So, you know, you ran stagger, uh, you know, the cars really, you, you had to work at the car to get the car to turn and, you know, off a stagger and stay, you know, stay tight enough for the drive off. And, uh, buddy worked hard and we went to Dover. And, you know, we unloaded and the car was, was relatively proficient right from the start. And I felt comfortable in the car. Like I felt like, I, I felt like we were missing something. I remember the car just did not really, you know, turn quite good enough, just past the middle. And I was trying to figure out what we needed, you know, to get it. And I was trying to find, um, you know, a driving style, something that you could do to get the car to rotate just past the center where you could have enough security and going back with the throttle really early and you know which is the normal thing but i know that we we start off uh, in the race and i think I, I don't remember where we qualified i want to say it was somewhere around 16th or 17th and you know took off and just started really i found a rhythm and we uh, really started to to move towards the front and uh it wasn't long before um we we got up into the top 10 and was starting to make some, uh, some things happen and got up there and, uh, really you could sense that we were going to have to be dealt with again. And we were moving, you know, towards the top five and just methodically making our way. 
And, but he kept working on the car, making small adjustments, you know, trying to, you know, get through all the pit stop sequences that we did. And we were on the, on the cusp of like really being right there and taking over. I felt like, you know, uh, the race and came in for a pit stop, uh, under green and, uh, uh, there was a miscue. No, I, I, we actually, I'm sorry. We did. We ran out of gas. We, uh, we were, we were just getting ready to, to, uh, we're trying to get, remember we get ready to come in and we kept running long on the, on the run. And I felt the thing miss and, um, I had to coast and it happened. I, I think right, right into, uh, in turn two and I had to coast all the way around and came in the pits and, you know, obviously, you know, it was, we were going to almost go a lap down. And, uh, luckily you would, you know, I mean, most of the time you would go a lap down, but you know, it, it must, it just ran out enough where I had enough momentum that I could get to pit road. And back then, you know, you, you could, you could come down pit road and I got down pit road and got to our stall and the guys did a great job, uh, and got me back out. And I came out just in front of, uh, the leader. Yeah. It was by the skin of your teeth. I mean, it was just in front of the leader and I mean, barely. And I, you know, I jumped in this thing and I mean, I, I went right to work and, um, you know, it was a little deflating, you know, because we were right up front, right. And in a, and I'm not sure if we'd even led the race and, you know, it's just, we were right there in a position again, and then to have that happen. Uh, but you know, we battled back and I started driving away and, you know, we ended up, you know, getting back and, uh, coming back all the way around the racetrack. And was in, I think, within the top 10 again. I mean, maybe close to the top five. And was back in the situation when the caution come out. And, you know, late in the race, I, I remember we, we come off this one pit stop. And we were, I don't know, we might have been, we might have been around, you know, in the eighth, sixth, eighth position, something like that. And I had a deal with Mark Martin. And uh, finally, uh, you know, did away with him. And once I got around Mark, then I had to set, I think, set sail on uh, Schrader and Schrader was really fast that day. He was really a factor and so was Rusty Wallace. And finally, when I, when I did away with Mark, then I, I had to get to, to Schrader and our, my car, the whole day had been, like I said, just a little bit tight, just in the center and, and then had to wait a little longer than I wanted to. But buddy evidently made a, a change, uh, air pressure wise or something. And that set of tires, the car, like just, I found a rhythm and the car would go in and got just a little bit of rotation in it. And then I was able to squeeze back to the throttle and the car turned. And when I, when it turned, I just was able to put the throttle down and got really a straight drive off the corner and just, you know, hit my stride. And I just found what I needed in the car. And I guess the, you know, I guess I got the security that I, the car was going to do what I needed it to do. And then I was able to, you know, pretty much emulate that lap after lap and then drive it harder as I built some air pressure up and just started mounting a charge. And then after that, you pretty much dominated that after race, that, 40 laps I mean, After so. that, I mean, I, I ran Rusty. Rusty was a complete straightaway ahead of me while I got, while I did away with uh, Schrader and drove away from Schrader and ran Rusty all the way down and passed him and then just drove away. And Buddy was begging me on the radio just to, you know, slow down, please do not, you know, hurt this thing. You're smoking the right front tire off this thing. Right. And I said, buddy, I am not abusing this car. I, I am just, I'm in a rhythm and I'm, I'm going to go hard. And I said, we're going to show these guys, you know, this is, this is our win. This is our time. And sure enough, 
I mean, you know, here comes Schrader. I could see Schrader coming. I had backed off and just tried to like, you know, appease buddy and just, you know, take a few tents out of the car. And here I could see Schrader back there. He was digging and I could see him just trying to make some gains. And then I could step away whenever I really needed to. And I could, I could kind of keep the separation there. And, you know, we went on to, to win the race and I can't tell you how rewarding it was to cross the finish line uh, and know that we had really reinforced the fact that we deserved to win Daytona and that we went to probably one of the hardest racetracks, you know, that you're going to have to go to and run 500 miles. Yeah, I mean, was this was 500 laps. Yeah. This is 500 laps around this place. Right. And uh, that's, that's tough to do. I mean, these guys, but maybe backed up to 400 nowadays and you're still whipped when you get out of there for 400. And Went to victory lane and I mean, it was just, it was validation for y'all. It, it was total elation. The guys, it was just, it was like, you just, you know, lifted a weight off their shoulders. Right. And they all were vindicated and they all felt like at that point there, there was nobody that could say anything to them without you being able to say, you know what? You got nothing to say that I want to hear. Bottom line is, you know, we're no, we're not a one hit wonder. We've won again. And here we are. And, and it wasn't a fluke. It was not a fluke. And so, you know, that really, I think, diminished a lot of the detractors and the fact that it reinforced it. Hey, look, you know, these guys, you know, they have heart, they have desire. And, you know, I drove my guts out that day and I was not going to be denied. And, uh, and Buddy knew it. And I think we talked and, you know, Buddy, you know, he said, you know, he says, you got a lot of heart. You know, he says, man, I said, you know, we just, I wanted it for everyone. I wanted it for our guys. I, I wanted everybody to have, you know, some redemption and feel like that, you know, it, we were wronged and you know what, this is the best way to do it. Keep your mouth shut, go back to work and just do them in. And, uh, it was, it was great. And then got to go to the media center. And I remember that vividly, you know, being able to walk in that room. It was, it was in the, in the tower there off of turn, uh, turn one. And uh, up at the top and all the press are there and you could just walk in, you know, you felt like King Kong. You felt like you could beat on your chest and, uh, you know, give the big yell, you know, it's like, you know, and you wanted to be, you know, you wanted to be, you know, pretty brash about it. Right. But, you know, it just wasn't my way. And, you know, my dad would have been despondent if I had conducted myself that way. But I thought we, we were, you know straight to the point. And I thought that, you know, I just wanted everybody to know that, you know, this, this was very gratifying, probably more gratifying than even when Danny told him because of all the grief we took. And I think this really was, you know, really, you know, a dominant race. I mean, we dominated the race. We pretty much come back from almost a lap down and, uh, and put them away. And this is the best of the best you're talking about here. You're talking about Dale Earnhardt. You're talking about Mark Martin. You're talking about Rusty Wallace. You're talking about all the guys, the champions, right? The Terry Labonis, the Bill Elliott's, you know, the Kenny Schraders, anybody who's who. And you know what? We, on that sun, on that given Sunday, we were the best. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it was a special, special day. And from that point on, you know, you just felt like that no matter what happened is that, you know, you deserve to be a, a Winston Cup race car driver. You have proven your worth and that nobody could take these things away from you. So that's, uh, that's where it was and that's how it was. And I, you know, I have fond recollections of that day and, uh, it meant, yeah, a lot it of people lot. don't, you know, Derek Hope, Daytona 500 winner, 
And it was at the pinnacle of NASCAR at the time. And obviously, you know, you, you won that against uh, Dale Earnhardt, but there's not a lot said about Dover. And uh, that definitely was the vindication race. That was kind of the one that kind of shut some of the naysayers up. Not all of them, of course. We still got them on our own social media today. But, um, but certainly that that must have been such a good feeling and um, and a great win for the team. So, the rest of the year, how did that work out for well, y'all? I think that you know one of the the points that I really want to bring up too was you know there's a lot of misconceptions always about you know how good the driver is how good the team is you know you know what was the reasons why and nobody really knows the real you know behind the scene things they don't really know how much money you had they don't know how big a team you got everybody just gets preconceived ideas and notions about things right well i mean we were a small team we probably had uh, a million one that year a million one right for and the whole one year for, for everything yeah, and won the two races bob's still putting in money you know, and we did not have the best of the best, the engines or whatever. I mean, we had to do without, and we were a small, small team and we were still racing big groups, big teams that had lots of money and had all the people, all the engineering, you name it, they had it. And we were able to go out and run, you know, head to head with them. And I think they knew that we were a force and they knew that we could get the job done. And I think that we served notice and, you know, Throughout that whole time with Bob Whitcomb Racing, you know, we really, the next year we had, we had a three-year commitment. We had what was 1.1, 1.3, and then 1.6. Still very, very minimal amounts of money for that day and age. You know, I mean, back then, you know, there was teams in the five, $6 million ranges very easily and maybe more, but you know, we were, you know, we were down on funding. So I just, I felt like it was just a good time to, to maybe people realize that you know, we won races. We were the little engine that could. We did it on heart and desire and work, hard work, taking what pieces we had and making it work together. And then good pit stops. The guys worked hard. They were all motivated. And that just goes to show you that when you have a collective group of people, it really is, you're only as good as the, as the people you have working for you in any business in anything you do, you know, it takes everybody to make it all come together. And you know, everybody came together and pulled together and believed in each other. And that was the epitome of Bob Whitcomb racing at that juncture. So, you know, obviously, as you alluded to later on, you know, things didn't maybe go as well. We didn't have all the money. We had to run other engines and we weren't, we weren't as, as tough. And then as the next years would go, there was something, something happened and buddy left. And I don't know exactly what, transpired to this i don't remember really you know how it all how it happened but buddy was gone and entered uh, barry dodson and barry dodson came in and the whole demeanor changed people left you know there was not all the same group people were leaving um and then it's like you just you know you when guys come in like that they bring their own people their own they're the people that they feel comfortable with it's a support there or that they can have confidants and and then yeah, we know from personal experience, crew chiefs bring their own crew. Yeah. And then they have their own ideas because some of them don't really know about the cars and they just know what they've learned or what they parasited from other teams and what they bring with them on their notebook. And they come and the next thing you know, um, they try to implement the things that they know uh, and what you maybe are running, what you're doing that was working is not really what they know. And then, you know, they start to, they start to, you know, go down another path. 
And we just saw things unraveling and it did not really go that well. At and the then same, the funding at the same yeah, time. Yeah, at the same time, um, you know, the, the business side of it, um, I was, you know, I'd already gone through a number of presidents and, you know, the, the company had been sold to Pennzoil and now Roman Baruta, who was the president, the then president, really, you know, was not the biggest advocate of motorsports at that point in time. He was getting ready to take the company public and he wanted to keep all the money in the till. And he was not all that excited about that money going out, you know. And um, so I think what, what happened was that um, I think that in the contract that we had, I forget exactly the numbers, but it ended up being where the 1992 year, they uh, paid the first installment, and I think it was a million dollars, to uh, Bob Whitcomb. And then we went to a test at Daytona and came back and closed the doors. Wow. And Roman Baruta, I think, struck a deal with Bob Whitcomb uh, that, you know, he could keep the money if he'd shut the team down. But there, this, this deal, they wanted to keep the rest of the money in the till. And you know, at that point, it could have been, you know, I forget, it might have been, one, it might have been closer to like a $2.1 million deal in that last year. Hard to believe after you had won the Daytona 500 and then went on to win another race that they would want to close it down. It just seems unimaginable. They obviously this new president did not have the love for racing. No, I think he said they were going public and he wanted to keep the, the, you know, the money in the till. And, you know, basically, I mean, it was 2.1 million, I think for 19, 1992. And I think he paid Bob a million dollars and then they agreed to shut the team down. So they didn't have to, you know, put that other million two in or million one in. And, uh, that was it. So, and so you're I, out of a and ride. And my out of personal a services contract was pretty healthy at the end of the year. I had, I had pretty taken it on the chin in the first couple of years to get a bigger payday for my personal services because uh, I was doing a lot of functions and activities. And uh, I was getting paid in the final year of my contract. And then that went out the door. So I never got paid. And so, and I struggled to get paid from Bob Whitcomb. So it was years uh, for me to, uh, to get paid on my contract. And, uh, you know, so it was a bitter end to probably a glory, a glory. What do you think would have, what honestly, what do you think would have happened if Buddy Parrott would have stayed, your original crew would have stayed and you would have grown together through the nineties, you know, 90 to 95 was a huge time period for NASCAR. Where do you think that team would have, would have gone? Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't think you can ever really speculate on those things. There's so many variables, you know, and again, you know, Buddy was at a time where, you know, he's motivated when he's motivated. And, you know, I think he, he came in and he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. You know, he had won another Daytona 500, taken this young kid and motivated this group of people, didn't have a lot of money and he made it happen. And I mean, you know, that was, it was quite a, a quite a feat, but he didn't really have much to have to prove after that. I don't really know if he really wanted to do much more, right? I don't really know. And that's, you know, not for me to speculate, right? Um, you know, like you said, I've, I just always felt like things, things happen and you just have to go on. And, you know, you can't change the deals. And you can't go back and say, oh, well, we could have, would have, should have, you know, I mean, we would have been, you know, forced to be reckoned with. You still have to find money, you know, and I was the one that was bringing the money. I was procuring it. I was out finding sponsorship. I was out doing all the work, trying to make them come back. And, you know, I, you know, 
you had to go to work to find more money. And now, you know, you've been with a sponsor for that long and then you don't have that many sponsors in the pipeline. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta go back to work, you know, and then, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm sitting there at the beginning of the year with no ride. And I mean, didn't even have a ride for Daytona. And wow. You know, you, you live for Daytona back then you got to test, you got to test like, you know, three days at Daytona where you would go down there, spend three days, run through everything. You just, you prepared through the winter to get ready for that January test at Daytona. And then just the, uh, the excitement of knowing that you had a ride and you were getting ready to go to Daytona. Right. And all of a sudden the rugs pulled off from underneath you. You have nothing in the hopper because it's just, you know, it's in your face. And at that point, every, you know, everybody's got deals. Everybody's lined up. What is there left? And I was fortunate that, you know, at that point in time, uh, Kale Yarborough, uh, did not have a sponsor. Um, and I don't think they really had a driver picked out or stip, you know, uh, you know, tagged for the team or under contract simply because they didn't have a sponsor. Bob Johnson was the crew chief. and I remember, you know, people telling me, you know, that, um, don't, you know, don't, don't get involved Bob Johnson. You know, he, he is a volatile guy, you know, hard headed, you know, throws stuff. I mean, just, you know, I mean, just, you know, a cantankerous old guy, you know, and, you know, for me, I just, I don't, again, I don't really listen to people. I'll take it with a grain of salt, you know, but I always feel like that, you know, you got to give people, you know, their uh, due respect and you, you go in there and you try to make things work. You have to, you know, you have to deal with people on their own level. And, uh, uh, I just want to drive a race car. I didn't care about anything else. Right. And I, I just want to drive hard. I want to go in. I've never was one of those guys who want to tell people what to do with the car. I just, I drove it. And when people want me to tell them what the car did, I tell them what the car did and it was their job to fix it. Right. And my driving style is different. Uh, and you know, I overdrove the corners. I got in the corner really hard, but you know what? I have to figure out a way to get it out the back door and they have to know that's the way I drive. So we got to figure it out. And, you know, Bob and I got along famously. I really had a good relationship with Bob, enjoyed him. And, you know, we, we got ready to go to Daytona and, um, you know, we, we ran really well. Tony Santanicola, Bob Fisher, those were the guys in the engine shop and talk about talent. Those two guys were, they understood air and fuel. Tony Santacola, actually, I had a relationship with back on the West Coast because he worked for Tony Odo. And Tony Odo uh, was building Ford engines. And uh, actually, we had gotten some of our engines from Tony Odo uh, for George Jefferson. So I had a relationship with uh, them and knew of Tony. So here's Tony and Bob Fisher. And I mean, I think there's three guys maybe in the engine shop right? Maybe, maybe four, but three, I mean, just, and these guys are doing everything and no budget. I mean, you want to talk about a budget? I think they had $285,000 for the engine budget for the entire year. Wow. They were making, I mean, something out of nothing. And, um, but they were making some power and worked hard and maintained those things and, uh, gave us an opportunity to go out and run well. And their restrictor plate stuff ran good. When we went to Daytona. And, um, you know, car ran good. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't remember exactly, you know, where we finished, uh, you know, but I know that we went, uh, to Rockingham, 
the, the next race and we had Bojangles on the car. It was a black car with the Bojangles sticker on the car. I remember that. And they had given, you know, Kale some money and uh, I don't, you know, really know all the details about that, but I just know that that was the start of another relationship that would be enduring. And, um, you know, it would, uh, it would be a lot of fun. Uh, they were, uh, local and, you know, they were, you know, uh, very funny and outgoing and wanted to do a lot of functions and activities. And they were doing a lot of point of sale things in store. Uh, we did commercials. It, you could just tell that this was going to be one of those sponsors that would be like the next step in your career where you got to do the things that a race car driver should do become, you know, the link between the consumer, the brand, the race car and the trade and, you know, making a difference. And, uh, I, I really thrived on that and enjoyed that. And Bojangles, a great organization. Yeah. It used to be uh, Randy Poindexter. I don't know if it still is. But. Yeah. Randy Poindexter was the, the VP of marketing then. And obviously Later on, you know, you know, uh, together we mm -hmm. ended up doing a deal later on with uh, with Randy again when he was the senior VP, and so just a great relationship. Had a lot of fun, and you know, Kale uh, turned that thing. Uh, I, you know, there was a, an agent, a guy that was doing some sponsorship for Kale, searching and stuff, and they put that together, and we ended up getting Bojangles on there. And I don't know all the particulars about it, you know, because it wasn't I wasn't involved in that, but um, yeah, I mean, we were able to take that deal and. We had some good runs throughout the year. Uh, we, you know, we, we did the best we could with what we had and, uh, you know, we had our days and, um, you know, uh, ended up uh, having a, a pretty, you know, a pretty good year, you know, and, uh, had a lot of fun and, um, everybody worked hard and, uh, you know, kale, it was a different relationship. That was really my first experience, um, working with, with, um, you know, somebody like that. I mean, I had a great relationship with Bobby Allison when he drove my car. And then now you got a, you know, you got a future hall of famer in, uh, in Kale Yarborough and, you know, Kale had had so much success in, in, in stock car racing. But how was he to work with? <laughs> well, Kale was, you know, pretty obstinate, you know, I mean, Kale, you know, he had his own thoughts on, on, uh, what he wanted and, and, you know, he wanted you to do certain things a certain way, you know, left you pretty much to your own, but you know, he, he was not going to spend his own money. He was not going to spend a lot of money and he was thrifty. And, you know, bottom line is we did not have a lot of money in the race team. We had to run some pretty old cars and old things and a lot of old parts. And we just, I mean, Bob and those guys made do. And we had a bunch of good guys that actually had come from the West Coast too that were with Chad Little originally. And those guys were great fabricators, great guys, uh, highly motivated. And everybody did what they had to do and put the time in and, um, you know, got better. And, uh, you know, we had a good relationship. We all worked hard together and formed some good long lasting relationships. And, uh, and I enjoyed my time there. And, um, and that was really on his way out as well. Just like, uh, when you drove for Bobby Allison, these teams were really on their way out at the time that you drove for them. Yeah. I, I think, you know, Kale, you know, Kale was, I, I think it's kind of like the deal you'd been so successful as a driver and then all of a sudden you're not in the limelight and you're not the driver and you own a team and you don't really, you know, you want to do it because you love racing. It's part of what people think you should be doing. And, you know, honestly, you know, Kale didn't want to spend his own money. Kale just wanted to have it there and he wanted it to make money. And, you know, that's the way this business model was to work. 
And if there was anything that come out of it, you know, Kale was going to have it, you know, and, and he um, wasn't having as much fun with it anymore. He wasn't the driver and you can relate going from being the driver to being the owner and having other drivers in your car. It's a totally different paradigm. It is. And I think, you know, again, it, it just, you know, you can't, I, I can't speak for Kale. I don't really know what's in his head. You know, um, I got along, uh, you know, really well with his wife and his daughters. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that aspect of it. And Kale really didn't really, you know, he didn't really try to tell you to make you drive like he drove or do those things. He left you to drive the way you want to drive, which I did respect that. I mean, he wasn't in your face trying to tell you how to drive. And, um, you know, he would make comments or he would say things about, you know, why you did certain things and give you some input or whatever. But, you know, he would leave you to do your job. And, oh, tell uh, the story about the chicken suit. Well, we did do a commercial and, um, yeah, we were, we're I forget the, the actual, you know, format of what the thing was, but they came to us and they said, you know, that they wanted us to do this commercial and, um, Bojangles, Bojangles. Yeah. And, uh, I, I told Kale, I said, Kale, I said, if there's a chicken suit, you're going to have to wear it because I'm not wearing it, you know? And uh, he was, oh boy, he said, if anybody wearing a chicken suit, you're wearing a chicken suit, you know, because this is going to throw back to the old Burt Reynolds and, you know, the Clyde Torkel's, you know, chicken pit, you know, so that's it's a little before my time, but yeah, yeah, well, there was a, there was a movie made, you know, and it was, you know, the Clyde Torkel's, I think, uh, Clyde Torkel's, <laughs> you know, chicken pit car, right. And Burt Reynolds was the driver and, you know, it was the chicken suit selling chicken, you know, and, you know, barbecue and the bit, you know, so this was sort of that same, <laughs> same thing, same platform, right. You could just see it coming, but. There was a commercial and both Kale and I did the commercial and it was fun and funny. So who wore the chicken suit? There was no chicken suit. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we did a commercial and I uh, went through that and had a lot of fun with that. And, you know, um, yeah, I mean, you know, again, it was a unique time in motorsports, right? I mean, the early nineties companies were still doing a lot of grassroots marketing. Uh, it was ground pounding. You're out there, you know, doing, you know, putting up banners and you're, you know, RJ Reynolds doing the same thing, right? Every time you you've got banners in and out of the racetracks, you know, you're just building brand recognition and, and loyalty and a lot of point of sale things in the stores, posters. I mean, we had more paraphernalia. I mean, we had drink cups in the stores that were, that were the actual fuel cans that had like a, you know, a fuel can we with have a straw one. on the end. Right. And there was, you know, just countless die casts and all kinds of you know racing cards and still to this day i sign an enormous amount of bojangles race cards and uh so yeah it was just a unique time in the sport that would carry on through the 90s you know and uh really um really set the tone for you know nascar winston cup racing you know and its escalation in notoriety and uh you know, Bojangles was a major uh, player and factor in that, albeit a small sponsorship and a small company, uh, they acted like a Fortune 500 company and did. did everything right. And then became the title sponsor of Darlington. And yeah, exactly right. Later in life, still, you know, to, you know, to be that far in the deal and still be in the sport. So, I mean, yeah. And really, they're just a Southwestern or Southeastern uh, chicken company. Yeah, but a, but a great company. Yes, And I mean, great. I have, uh, you know, a lot of respect for them as a company and their people were very genuine. And Randy Poindexter was a class act. And, uh, to this day, yes. um, you know, it was great to see him, you know, when I got back to doing some things there and, and saw him again. And, um, we had, we had a lot to, uh, to reflect on, you know, so, but I, you know, again, that uh, we'll end it. We'll end it with there. There's a lot of things to come. My, 
demise at Cale Yarborough Motorsports, um, you know, was um, something that we'll talk about in the next episode. But it was a a bitter um, departure, uh, to say the least, uh, one that I was blindsided by. And we'll talk more about that on our next episode. But uh, let's um, let's digress and move uh, back to some more, you know, pertinent uh, things uh, in motorsports right now. And and again, right now, you know, the more things to talk about really is uh, on the the, the cup side. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what most everybody likes to talk about and listen about is uh, the silly season, you know, what, what's on tap for next year and who's doing what, and what is the temperament out there? What are the rumors out there? And, you know, I think we'll just, we'll just touch on that a little bit. So I think first up, uh, I think right now, obviously, you know, we, what we kind of talked about it earlier about, you know, um, the concussion uh, situation with Kurt Busch, uh, his departure from full-time racing. Um, we've already alluded to that and he will not be in the 45 car. Tyler Reddick is going to drive the 45 car. So that will be, you know, a, um, you know, a good race car for him. And, uh, you know, that's going to be uh, interesting to watch and see how, uh, how he does there. I mean, he has been, he has been a force to be reckoned with. Uh, he definitely, uh, it had to hurt. Uh, I know that when we were, with uh, ECR and the engines at Starcom Racing, you know, Tori uh, Goleta, who was pretty much in charge of things up there, um, they loved Tyler Reddick. And they felt like from the infancy of that deal happening that he was going to be, you know, the guy that, you know, took the, you know, the reins. Yeah, this has got to be a, a real punch uh, to them. Yeah. You know, and again, you know, I think that, you know, you know, he's shown that he, he has all the elements and, you know, all the things that it takes to, to win consistently, you know, at the highest level and uh, very motivated, nice guy drives hard. Uh, I think most of the time lets his, uh, you know, his business uh, on the racetrack, you know, uh, speak for him. And uh, I think he's a, I think he's an incredible talent and uh, seems like a nice guy. And hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully he'll have his have continued success over there. And then on the flip side of that, of course, you got, you know, you got Kyle Busch and obviously that's already been, uh, uh, you know, announced, but you know, um, Richard Childress always seems to find a way to, to make something happen. And he worked hard and he pounded the pavement and he was able to procure, uh, getting, um, you know, Kyle Busch over there. I think that is going to, you know, be interesting to see how that unfolds. Um, you know, they, they have shown with Tyler Reddick that their car is capable of running up front uh, on any given Sunday. And, uh, you know, they need to elevate what Austin Dillon's doing. I mean, his productivity has not been to the level of Reddick's. Uh, maybe a more so on the speedways, but I mean, he, you know, and hopefully maybe Kyle, uh, you know, will be a nice addition to that. And, you know, their engineering group collectively will, you know, find things that uh, will enhance both cars. So it'll be interesting to see, but, you know, Kyle Busch is a mouthpiece and he is tough I was to say, work I with. I don't know if that'll be a nice addition, but, uh, well, I mean, he's a tough guy to work with. I mean, you know, he's very bold. I mean, he speaks his mind. He says what he thinks, you know, and if things aren't going well, he's gonna be the first one to let you know about it. And, uh, you know, Richard, Richard doesn't really like that very much either. You know, Richard, you know, has a lot of pride and, uh, he believes he knows what his organization needs and he's had some of the best people there. And so, you know, he can be difficult himself, right? So it'll be interesting how that combination works, but I know they're all looking forward to it. They got to be, and uh, you know, it'll be, uh, and you know, it'll be exciting when uh, Daytona rolls around and all these guys have places. Uh, if you want to look 
down the road a little bit, you know, something that is being discussed. There's a lot of talk about it and you're hearing little tidbits out there right now, uh, is the Haas, uh, Gene Haas and the Haas, uh, automation team. You know, obviously this year, Kevin Harvick has been very outspoken about, you know, problems with uh, the next gen car and all that. Um, they have not really seemed to have been that, you know, that good a race team. They've missed something with this car, but obviously as of late, you know, Kevin has been able to find what he's needed in the car. Rodney Childers and them have given him something. They've found, uh, some things and he has been in a position to be up front and to vie for wins again. So just goes to show you that, you know, um, an organization with that kind of funding and, and key personnel and engineering, uh, wind tunnels at your disposal, you know, simulation, uh, CFD modeling, all the things, all the things that it takes this day and age to, uh, be proficient, they have. And the question is, is Cole Custer going to stay, which Gene Haas would like to give him a chance, but Tony Stewart wants Ryan Priest. So, you know, that's a question mark. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens there. I like Ryan Priest. I think he is uh, very underrated. Yeah, he, he is, but he's shown that, uh, you know, he, uh, did a great job at, uh, JTG. Um, and then, you know, obviously been trying to find, uh, you know, um, a way in and, you know, doing backup role at, uh, Haas. Ty, uh, Ty Dillon, you know, had a rough go there at GMS, uh, has had some good runs really worked hard. Uh, he has put himself out there and has driven his heart out and, you know, happy to see the announcement that he was going to aspire to drive the 77 car. Yeah. Ty is a very nice man. And, uh, I am happy to see that him, uh, getting a full-time ride. He is also probably an underrated, um, hasn't really been, um, afforded the greatest, um, opportunities. And I have always felt bad for him because his brother has always gotten the top ride. And he's kind of been like this, you know, kind of scratching, clawing his way through. And so it was nice to hear that announcement. I think, you know, getting the opportunity for you and I to actually meet him and spend time talking to him when we were looking at, you know, the situation over there at Starcom. Um, I, I really like Ty as a person, you know, from what I, I know about him. It seems like, you know, he's got a great family. He seems to be very family oriented. He's down to earth. And he, I think he really came to terms with being, you know, on the outside looking in mm -hmm. and I think he dug deep and I think he, you know, really looked inside himself and realized that he really wanted this badly and went to work and, and has, you know, he's made it happen. So good for him. Um, you know what I give credit where credit's due and certainly the uh, credit is due to Ty Dillon. So, uh, beyond that, you know, you look at, uh, you know, Gregson's got, got an opportunity full-time at Colic. Almondinger now is going to go full-time on the cup series with Colic. That group, doing a nice job over there. Uh, you know, Chris Rice, I've known Chris for a while and worked with him before. And he's, um, they got a nice group of people up there. You know, they got RCR, uh, you know, the ECR engines up there and their affiliation with RCR. So, you know, they, they have all that backing, you know, the engineering group and everything. So they have kind of an alliance and a, and a nice uh, group going on there. And they're, they're, you know, they're up front and they're making, and even Haley is doing a very nice job and they're showing that their, their team can, uh, can run well. So it'll be interesting to see how they continue that kind of progress. So, um, you know, on the cup side, other than that, you know, I don't really know much more about what, what's going on. There hasn't been much said, there's not a lot of opportunities for other rides out there really. So really, um, you know, you're just going to have to wait and see if there's any other developments or anything's happened, but we're still waiting for the, some of the concussion things to kind of play themselves out. And then we'll, we'll have to just take a look then, but, uh, the season's not over. 
And, you know, there's a lot to be done Almost here. over. Almost over. And we'll have a lot to talk about here on all those fronts as we proceed uh, in more future episodes. So. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening in, all you listeners. Um, as always, we would love to get your feedback. And um, we have um, 10 episodes for you um, here to to listen to and um, then more from there. And, and we can't wait to hear what you thought of the first segment. And it all launches November 2nd. So stay tuned and we hope you enjoy. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope 00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.